to think I'm on. Um, we're going to have our series tonight. Uh, so I invite you to join me in Philippians in chapter 4 if you have um, your Bible with you. Uh, Philippians chapter 4. Well, next week we won't be having a uh, Wednesday service as we are uh, going to take that day off for Thanksgiving. But then the following week we will return to our Ten Commandments series. But I, I want to talk to you uh, this evening just from verses 4 through 7 in uh, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. And uh, we'll begin reading in verse uh, verse. For the apostle writes, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, Rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So, Father, I pray this evening as we look to your word uh, that we would, you would help us to give our attention to it and that the words of my mouth tonight as I speak and the meditations of our hearts as we listen would be acceptable to you, O Lord. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I want to talk to you this evening about facing difficulty. Facing difficulty. If you've read the Gospels, you know that Jesus never promised that following him would be easy. We like easy ways to do things, we like shortcuts. We have all kinds of applications on our smartphones to make things easier and quicker, and we spend a lot of time on them because we want to bypass the difficult and get to the easy, to get what we want out of life. And although some may think that's what Christianity is all about, Jesus said a lot of stuff that just doesn't jive with that. He tells his listeners that before they decide to follow him to count the cost, that trusting in him would mean denying self, that it meant losing family and friends. The road to eternal life is not broad and spacious, but narrow and uncomfortable. It's a difficult path. So to be a Christian then doesn't mean that Christ gives us an exit ramp away from trials. But in fact, in some ways... It is an on-ramp to trials. And for some of you, if you started following Jesus, some things are going to get harder before they get easier. We're told as a church in Romans 12 that we weep with those who weep. We grieve alongside the grieving. Now, if you're, if you're not in a church, that's a lot easier to do because you don't have anyone to grieve with that you have to grieve with. There's no community of faith for you to weep alongside. But it becomes harder when you're part of a church and you have to grieve. Jesus calls us to not to, to find ourselves, but to find him by denying ourselves. And that's difficult. Now the Philippians knew difficulty was coming. Paul shared with them 
back in chapter 1, as he's talking about his own suffering, writing from prison somewhere, Paul says, For unto you, this is the end of chapter 1, the end of his greeting, it is given on the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. So in other words, Paul's saying, when I tell you, Philippians, my friends, about my suffering, I'm not just talking about what I go through, I'm giving you a preview of what you're going to go through. It's coming for you as well. This is not going to be easy. Now, Paul mentions that in chapter 1 and then moves on to talk about other stuff. And there's the potential here, I think, for Paul to be misunderstood. If his last word about the trials that we as Christians face was at the end of chapter 1, we as the readers and the Philippians may know that difficulty is coming, but we may not know how to respond to it. So the danger is when the Philippians, who are not really reading this, but they're hearing it read out loud in their little church, The danger is they hear Paul say, it's been hard on me, it's going to be hard on you. It's not easy to follow Jesus. The danger is the Philippians could hear that and then assume that because trials don't go away in the Christian life, then they're consigned to live in misery and anxiety. Misery about their future suffering and anxiety, or misery with their present suffering, and anxiety and worry about their future suffering. Why why do I say there's the potential for them to think this? Well, because we get to chapter 4, and as Paul is closing his letter, he feels the need, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to give us verses 4 through 7. In other words, Paul is worried that his readers think, because of all this suffering that's coming their way, that they are going to get this wrong, that they are going to think that joy and peace are somehow outside of their reach. They thought that because Paul has to tell them it's not the case, right? That's why he has to tell them that. Now, it's possible that at some point in your life of following Jesus, you realize that being a Christian was not going to take care of all your problems, right? You've realized that at some point. And that may have affected you in different ways. You may have felt betrayed. You may have felt like Jesus let you down. Why do difficult things happen to us? If God loves us and has a good plan for our life. And by the way, Romans 8, God does love us and God does have a good plan for our life. But that does not eradicate our trials and tribulations in this life. No, Romans 8 doesn't say that in God's recipe for making us like Christ, he has all of these nice tasting ingredients and the outcome is we become like Christ. Rather, God works all things together for our good. Some of those things are pleasant, and some of those all things are very unpleasant, aren't they? But rather, God's plan is to use all of those things in order for us to become like Christ. So God allows us to go through difficulty. Following Jesus is not an exit ramp from difficulty. It's an on-ramp to difficulty. There's going to be tough things that are going to happen. And the Philippians are thinking, well, if all this bad stuff is going to happen to me, like all this bad stuff has happened to Paul, then maybe... Jesus just saved me for me to live in misery and anxiety. Maybe I'm going to feel terrible because of my circumstances, right? They may have thought that because their difficulty was increasing, joy and peace were then disappearing. But Paul says it doesn't have to be this way. 
Now, you know, Paul doesn't say that they can get rid of their trials. Here's what I mean. Paul is saying that their circumstances don't have to determine whether or not they have joy and peace in life. Rather, Paul says this. Here's what we learn in our text. I'm going to unpack it just in, in two points. When Christians face difficulty, joy is always possible and peace is always available. So yes, difficulty is going to come. Now, we're, we're, someday we're going to have a new heaven and a new earth, but that day is not today. Right now we're living in Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Not the end of Revelation. And until we get to the end of Revelation, we're going to face difficulty, but we can know that in that difficulty we can still have joy and we can still have have peace. So verses 4 through 5, verses 4 and 5, Paul t- tells us that joy is always possible. And I want to turn your attention to this really, really shocking statement. Paul, writing from a prison cell, writing to a bunch of people who will one day be in their own prison cells, most of them, he says this in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Yes, Philippians, I know you're worried about difficulty. I know you're worried about your trials that you're facing. I know you you are worried about what's coming down the road. I know that you're not excited about what God is going to let happen in your life. But rejoice. Rejoice. That is, be joyful. Be glad. It seems that Paul is telling his readers to live with a certain feeling, to have this emotion. And that may strike us as a little odd. How can God tell us how to feel? How can God command his children to have certain feelings? Now you may think, well, maybe then this doesn't have anything to do with feelings. Maybe rejoice in the Lord is not connected to our emotions. Maybe it doesn't have to do with how I feel. Maybe I can have joy and and be miserable at the same time. But if you strip joy away from feeling, you don't have anything left. Joy is a feeling. It's undoubtedly a feeling. You feel joyful, and yet God tells us how to feel. Joy is not a conviction. that You can't persuade yourself into feeling joyful. Some of you have tried to do that. You can't be convinced that you should be joyful. You can't argue yourself into it. Joy is not some sort of proposition. And nor is it simply a decision. We don't have a switch to turn on and off when it comes to joy. Wouldn't it be great if we did? Because we would all use it all the time. But we don't have that. And this is why some of us are uncomfortable with seeing joy as an emotion because we're looking right at the text. God is telling us to have an emotion and we realize we just can't turn on our emotions. Right? So what's going on here? What is is Paul telling us about the Christian life by telling us to feel a certain way when we can't just snap our fingers and feel a certain way? Well, let me ask you this. Is fear an emotion? Well, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we, we don't like sit down and decide, you know what, I'm going to decide to be afraid the next 30 minutes. No. Like the deer jumps out in front of you in the highway and what do you have? You have fear. You didn't control it. You didn't turn the on switch. You didn't decide I'm going to act fearful. It just happened to you, right? 
It's a little bit outside of your control. But does the Bible ever tell us to have fear? Well, yeah. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's an emotion that God tells us to have. The Bible tells us to grieve over our sins. The prophets tell the... I'm reading through the minor prophets right now. And constantly the prophets are calling God's people, mourn and weep over your sins. And they're not talking about just outward crying. That would be fake and superficial. And if you read the prophets, God hates that stuff. No, God's people are commanded to feel grief over their sin. God's telling us how to feel. You see, Jesus' lordship over us is not limited to external factors. It's not just limited to our behavior, how we treat other people, how we act in public, how we behave on the outside. Jesus is Lord even over our emotions. And here is what these uh, these um, four radical words mean, that Jesus is Lord over every part of us, even our emotions. You see, being a Christian, being a Christian means that God demands of me Things that are not within my immediate power to produce. But you already knew that, right? The Bible's full of things that we can't in our own power produce. Doesn't God say, be holy, for I'm holy? Now surely, surely, friends, you don't think that you could just decide to be perfectly holy. I mean, go try it tomorrow. See how many minutes you make it before someone in your life discovers you're not very holy. That's not a switch we can turn on either. We can't be holy without God helping us to become holy, and yet God tells us to do it. And here God tells us to rejoice, to have joy, to be joyful in the face of our suffering, even though it's not within our immediate power to do it. Now, Paul is not telling them to pretend to be joyful. He's not telling them to convince their friends that they're joyful. He's not telling them to put on a fake smile and say, I'm okay when you're not okay. Because that's not joy. That's hypocrisy. We know what God thinks about hypocrisy. No, Paul is telling them to be genuinely joyful. He's telling them to do something that it's not within their power to produce. That is without God's help. You remember Galatians, we have the fruit of the Spirit. And what's the second fruit of the Spirit? Joy. Why is it a fruit of the Spirit? Because, well, why is it not part of that first list? You remember the first list, the works of the flesh? Now, the works of the flesh, there are some emotions in that list too, right? Jealousy, anger, rage. There's a lot of emotions in, the, in, in Paul's list of works of the flesh. And those emotions, jealousy, anger, rage, those are things we, that are within our immediate power. I don't need the Holy Spirit to help me to be, to be angry and to rage and to be jealous of other people and to envy. I can produce those emotions all on my own. But if I'm going to have joy, that's not a fruit of David Harris. That's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the whole list of the fruits of the Spirit are are, are really an argument for why I need to be empowered with the Spirit in my life. Because none of those things are things that I can do on my own. I don't have switches for any of those things. And neither do you. And especially not in times of suffering. If you're going through difficulty, you can't just decide to be joyful. You need God to help you. This is why our rejoicing is rejoicing in the Lord, in the Lord, in his power, with his help. When it comes to rejoicing, what God commands is also what God provides. 
And we could apply this to, to joy, though he was talking about personal holiness. In the Confessions, Augustine says, Give what you command, O Lord, and then command whatever you will. And we can apply this to this command, rejoice in the Lord. God will make this possible for us, and God also tells us to do it. And again, this is in the Lord, not in ourselves. That is, this is part of our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. With him and in him. As we look at our lives from this perspective that we are in Christ, that we belong to him, that our lives are, are in him and are sanctified by him and covered by him, we can look at our life and we can have joy. Now, Paul is not telling them to rejoice in their trial or because of their trial, right? Right? He doesn't say um, when it gets really difficult. Or for the case of Philippians, like when your children get thrown into prison, he doesn't tell them, be really happy about the fact that your kids got thrown into prison. That would be weird, right? No. The joy is not because of the trial. This joy, this rejoicing, is in spite of the trial. It's in spite of it. Now you see, Paul is saying there's a kind of joy that transcends the trial, not some weird love of pain. No. Something that sustains us in the middle of the trial, despite the trial. This joy is an inner confidence in the soul. It's fueled by trust in God's character. And it is so deep and so resilient that it can't be eclipsed by anything, even our suffering. Or I should say it doesn't have to be eclipsed by anything. It is a confidence in God and in God's promises and in in who God is and what he is going to be for us that is stronger than any difficulty or trial that comes our way. Now, being joyful, I should say this, and being happy, which is also a frequent uh, New Testament and Old Testament idea, blessed in the Old Testament, New Testament, is, is happy. I think Psalm 1, Sermon on the Mount, we're told to be that we should be blessed. We should be happy. And joy and happiness does not mean ease and comfort, right? Sometimes we, we can't be at ease and comfort. Jesus was always joyful. And yet Jesus, our Lord, was not in his earthly life always comfortable. In fact, he was hardly ever comfortable. He's like, foxes have better real estate than I do. Or something like that, I'm paraphrasing. <laughs> Jesus wasn't always comfortable. And, and, and here's the problem. When we think happiness, we, just, we have our, our imagination, just, we need so much more of the Bible and its language infused into our imagination. When we think of the word happiness, we immediately think comfortable, no problems. But Psalm 1 and, and, and the Sermon on the Mount don't mean that. When Jesus says, blessed, happy are you if you're persecuted, he doesn't mean not having any problems, obviously. It sucks to be persecuted, right? No, happiness and joy is this confidence in God that, that doesn't erase our trial, but sustains us even in the middle of our worst trials. Jesus gives us something in a relationship with himself, where we learn to trust him, that even suffering cannot take away from us. It can't. If you have a prosperity gospel, that is, if, you, if your version of Christianity is, you do things for God and he gives you material prosperity, well, circumstances of life 
will be able to take that version, that false version of Jesus away from you. Because as your material prosperity changes, or as your economic situation changes, or as your physical health changes, then what you thought you were getting from Jesus will just disappear. But when it comes to the actual gospel, the good news of God redeeming us in Christ, we are given something as believers that even the worst kinds of suffering cannot take from us. We can't lose this. When it comes to this inward confidence in God's character... No one can take that away from us. And no situation can take that away from us because God remains the same, right? And our confidence in him can remain the same. One of the outworkings of this of this joy, this rejoicing, is moderation or gentleness. It's, it's being under control when we're responding to hurt. Whether that's a chaotic situation or somebody personally hurting us, we're supposed to be known for our moderation. That is, uh, if, we, if we're joyful, we don't, we don't lose it when bad things happen to us. Because that inner confidence that we have in our Lord keeps us stable when everyone around us is falling apart. So we should be known for our moderation. And by the way, this is what Jesus was known for. Jesus kept his cool, even in the worst times of his own suffering. That's why he says the Lord is near. And in other words, God, Christ is close to us, especially as we respond well with joy to our trials. And again, joy is not comfort, but it is keeping our confidence in God as we endure suffering. That is biblical joy. So joy is always possible, even in our difficulty. And then number two, even in our difficulty, peace is always available, verses 6 and 7. Now, there's a little distinction here. You know, joy has to do with our present circumstances and having this confidence in God despite our trials. Peace is really the opposite of worry or anxiety. That is, peace has to do uh, with what we think about the future. So when it comes to our present suffering, our present difficulty, instead of being in misery, we can have joy in the Lord. We can rejoice. We can be confident in him that he's going to take care of us, that he'll see us through this. And when it comes to future suffering, future difficulty down the road, we can have peace instead of worry and anxiety. And how many of you know that there are so many bad things that could potentially happen in the future at any given time that we're all liable to just live in worry and anxiety? But no, instead of that, we can have peace. Now, joy is immediately available. It's not mediated. It's just there. It's accessible. Because Paul just says, rejoice! (laughs) You can have it. Joy is right there. You can experience it. If you have the Holy Spirit, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, joy is always right there in front of you. You can just rejoice and have it. But peace isn't like that. Paul doesn't tell them, rejoice and be at peace. He doesn't tell them, have peace. You see, like joy, it's like we're right there at the door. We can walk in at any time. Peace, there's a bridge we have to cross. There are some steps we have to take when it comes to peace about future difficulty, future suffering, future trials. And that bridge that we have to cross, those steps that we have to take involve prayer. We can have joy by just rejoicing, but when it comes to having peace, Paul gives us some steps in verses 6 and 7. Be careful for nothing. Now, be careful for nothing doesn't mean walk out indiscriminately on Highway 54 in the middle of the night in front of a semi and say that you're trusting the Lord. God doesn't bless that. But what it does mean 
is that we shouldn't worry or be anxious about anything. That is, in the, in the old sense, full of care, full of worry, right? Not, not careful in the sense of wise, but careful in the sense of being full of worry, being obsessed with something, being anxious about it constantly. Be careful for nothing. Why does he have to tell them this? Well, because for the Philippians, there was a lot of stuff that they could be full of care about, right? There was a lot of stuff in their future. If You know, Paul, back in chapter 1, some of them have missed all of chapter 2 and all of chapter 3 because back in chapter 1, Paul told them they're going to go through similar suffering that he's going through, and they're still thinking about that. They've missed everything else he said because they're like, I don't want to suffer like Paul suffers. I mean, I'll send him a fruit basket when he's in prison, but I don't want to go through what he's going through. How in the world am I going to handle that? There's a lot of stuff, in other words, that they can be full of care about. There's a lot of stuff that the Philippians could worry about. What should they worry about? What should they be full of care about? What merits their anxiety? In other words, what is big enough, scary enough, and important enough that they can give themselves to worrying about it and fretting over it? Nothing. Nothing merits their anxiety. Nothing merits their worry. Nothing for these Christians is big enough or scary enough or dangerous enough for them to give their full attention to and obsess over. Be careful for nothing. Well, what do, with, what, what do we do with all these things that we could worry about? You may be th- thinking the same thing. Maybe you're not worried like Paul about going to prison for preaching the gospel. But there are things you worry about, right? There are what-ifs. There are things that keep you up all night. There are things that you are full of care about, things that you are anxious about, things that you worry about. And you may think, well, if, I, if I'm not supposed to obsess over these things, like what, what, that's all I know how to do, David. What do I do with them? Like, I can't get over this. What do I do with it? He goes on. Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer. He adds in supplication, that is pleading to God with an attitude of thanksgiving, that's gratitude. We're not going to God as a last resort. We're not going to God because we've given up on everything else. We're not going to God because he's the spare tire. We're doing this all in an atmosphere of gratitude. In everything, we go to God in prayer. And we let our requests be made known to him. So here's the instruction. If you want peace, if you want joy, it's right there. You just rejoice. Ask God to help you rejoice. The Spirit will help you rejoice, just like the Spirit will help you love people. You don't, you don't have to go through any steps to love. If you're a Christian, you can love like right now. But when it comes to peace, here's the steps. Don't be consumed by worrying about anything. And then pray about everything. It's as if Paul wants the Philippians to imagine their lives in two columns. And on the the one side, it's what I worry about. And on the other side, it's what I am praying about. And the Philippians are evidently very scared, and he knows they're very scared as he's writing this letter. So if the Philippians are looking at their what I worry about column, it's like several pages long, right? And then if they're, look, they're looking at their what I pray about column, it's just empty. So Paul is saying, you see all the stuff on this side of the list? Get it onto the other side of the list. 
start crossing these off. And instead of worrying about this and this and this and this, start praying about it. Until you get to the point where you're not consumed with worry about anything. That column is empty. Everything's been crossed out. And what you're praying about is just chock full of stuff. Does that make sense? Now, all of us have those two columns as well. You and I, and you may think, well, David, I don't pray. Well, you still have a column. It's just empty. You and I, there are a, there are a specific number of things, however many, that we're worried about. And there's also a number of things that we pray about. And Paul says, if you want to experience peace when it comes to how you deal with the future difficulty, future trials, potential suffering down the road, if you want to have peace about that, you've got to get your list of worrying down to zero and your list of prayer full. You've got to take the things that you worry about and turn them into things that you pray about. And as we do that, what happens? What happens? Here's the result. God's peace will keep us, as a military term, or guard us. It's going to be like a fortress surrounding us. So that the anxiety and the worry and the obsession over future difficulty won't destroy us. Because it's, trying to, like, it's like trying to get at you. Some of us don't realize we need protection from worry. If you go to a big city like Minneapolis or Chicago, you're not going to let your three or four-year-old kid just like run several blocks down the road. Why? The world is a dangerous, scary place. You're going to protect them, right? Because you realize there are dangers out there. And you're going to put safeguards in place so your kid doesn't get hurt. But when it comes to worry or anxiety, we don't even try to fortify our hearts against it. We just like let it in. Like we think it's going to help us. No, it's trying to destroy us. You cannot have your life eaten up by worrying about the future and it help you. Paul wants, to see, Paul wants us to reframe our imagination so we see worry and anxiety and being full of care about everything as an enemy and God wants to build a wall to protect us from it. How does he do that? By prayer. As we pray, God's peace guards our mind. As we pray, what worried us we will see as being in God's hand. Does this mean that when we pray, all the things that that we worry about disappear? No. Does this mean if we pray, all the things that may happen to me just won't happen to me? No. Some of them may happen to you, but they won't, the worry won't destroy you. The anxiety won't destroy you. Because God's peace, like a fortress, is going to guard you. So your mind is protected from these things that would otherwise wreak havoc in your life and destroy your soul. Does this make sense? Am I, am I helping tonight? And even in difficulty, we all do this in the context of gratitude. We make our request known to God in the context of thanksgiving. Because no matter what difficulty, no matter what trial we're going through, we have valuable gifts from God that cannot be taken away by adversity. In other words, even what the Philippians are about to face, which is much worse than probably anything you or I are ever going to face, they always had something to be thankful for. They always had something to be thankful for. So as they prayed, instead of worried, as they took stuff off of their careful, full of care list, worried list, and put it on their prayer list, God's peace would guard their minds. And by the way, this peace passes understanding. 
Why does this peace pass understanding? What does that mean? I remember I memorized that verse as a kid because I had trouble like pronouncing peace. And so peace that passeth all understanding was hard for me to say. Still is. And I thought, what does that mean? Does that mean we don't know what the word peace means? Here's what it means. Um, uh, our culture, uh, our world has a certain way of thinking about peace. Okay? And if you look at commercials for security systems or life insurance, we, we think of peace as being produced by our circumstances. That if there's no chaos in our circumstances, there won't be any chaos in our soul. And we think of that as peace, avoiding conflict and problems. But God's peace that will guard our minds as we pray instead of worry passes understanding. That is, it doesn't make sense to people. It passes understanding. It goes beyond our minds because we think of peace as being tied to our circumstances. But Paul is writing this from prison. So the kind of peace that Paul has, who is, he's only ever a week away from execution, the kind of peace that Paul has is hard to be understood because it doesn't match with his circumstances. Do you have peace like that? Do you have peace to such an extent because of your prayer life that even when chaotic things are happening around you, your lost friends and family and neighbors are shocked by how at peace you are because it doesn't match with your circumstances? Or is the only time you're at peace when your circumstances are at peace? Paul's getting at is a peace that defies explanation because our minds are being guarded even when our lives are going crazy. And we can have that if we pray about everything and be full of care about nothing. For the joyless Christian tonight, God wants you to rejoice. And you can rejoice because of the help that he offers through the Holy Spirit. What, what is it in your life right now that makes the idea of rejoicing seem impossible? What is it right now in your life that when you hear this call to be joyful, you think, that's just stupid? And here's, and here's why, David. That's stupid because you don't know what I'm going through. There's this and there's this. What is it in your life that makes this just seem so unrealistic? Now, if you think, David, there's no way that in myself I have the power to do this, you're, you're going in the right direction. Our rejoicing is in the Lord. So if you want to be joyful, you're going to have to depend on God. And you may even want to ask him, God, can you help me be joyful? Because this is, this is above my pay grade. God, I, I can't do this. This is my circumstance, Lord. I can't rejoice. I can't rejoice, God. I need you to help me. Have you ever asked God to help you rejoice? That could be what you need to do. And for the Christian in our midst, without peace. How long is your worry list? And how long is your prayer list? Paul says, if we want our minds to be guarded from worry and anxiety, we take the things we worry about and we pray about them. So, facing difficulty, rejoice in the Lord and pray about whatever it is causes you to worry. 
And you will realize that even in times of difficulty, you will experience joy and peace if you know Christ. Let's all stand.